Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 185. We'll continue in the Psalms with a brief summary of chapters 127 through 130 and follow with some thoughts about arrogance and impunity. Psalm 127 begins with a name check for Shlomo, the builder of the first temple in the eighth song of ascent. This makes sense as the poet immediately launches into a discussion about building a house. Hi, I'm Bob Vila. Welcome to this old house. And how, without God's backing, all the work of mortals will be for naught. What a person should invest in is children. Quote, the estate of the Lord is sons. Reward is the fruit of the womb. Psalm 128, the ninth song of ascents, presents a portrait of domestic bliss. Quote, when you eat of the toil of your hands, happy are you, and it is good for you. Your wife is like a fruitful vine in the recesses of your house, your children like young olive trees around your table. But only those that fear God will earn this joy. And even more, quote, may you see Jerusalem's good all the days of your life, and may you see children of your children, peace upon Israel. Psalm 129 positions Israel as a troubled teen, quote, Much they beset me from my youth, yet they did not prevail over me. My back the harrowers harrowed, they drew a long furrow. But God protects and blesses and most importantly settles Israel's scores, quote, May they be like the grass on rooftops that the east wind withers. Psalm 130 comes from the depths, quote, Master, hear my voice. May your ears listen close to the voice of my plea. Were you, O Yah, to watch for wrongs, Master, who could endure? As deep as the poet is in his despair, he still has hope, quote, More than the dawn watchers watch for the dawn. And on that buoyant note, here endeth the lesson. I touched on the concept of hubris briefly in episode 179 during a discussion about where humans stand vis-a-vis God and the Hanukkah story and how the rabbis kind of pretended it didn't happen because of what happened after the kids' version of the story fades to black. It made a lot more sense then, and I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 179 if you have some extra time on your hands. Hubris is all about foolish pride and dangerous overconfidence and arrogance. Icarus is often regarded as the poster boy for hubris. His father, the master craftsman Daedalus, built the labyrinth on the island of Crete, and together they were kept there as like quasi-prisoners, I guess. They couldn't leave the island. They, they weren't locked in a jail or anything, but, you know, they, they, they were kind of like under house arrest. So Daedalus had this idea... You know, they observed the birds who came and went frequently from Crete. And so he said, let's, we can fly to freedom. So he fashioned wings from feathers and wax for himself and for Icarus, his son. But Daedalus warned him not to be complacent and fly too low to the sea, whose dampness would clog the wings, or to be filled with hubris and fly too high because the sun's heat would melt the wax. Well, you know, as we know, Icarus ignored his father's instructions because he was overconfident and a little prideful and perhaps a little arrogant, and his wings melted and he tumbled from on high and drowned in the sea. You know, one could also say that Oedipus 
maybe is the poster boy for hubris because he dared to defy the prophecies of the gods. He was told that he would kill his father and marry his mother. And to this he said, Oh, hell no! For a human to look into the face of the deity and say, No, I won't. Well, that's like the gravest of offense, which brings on the punishment. Icarus falls to his death, Oedipus is ruined and cast out, he blinds himself, yada, 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 tragedy, weepy, weepy, moany, moany. In Paradise Lost, for example, Lucifer, son of the morning, also falls as punishment for his arrogant attempts to compel the other angels to worship him. He is cast into hell by God and the innocent angels. And proclaims, you know, the famous better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. The poet tells us in Psalm 127 that even the great builder Shlomo, or any builder for that matter, would have come to nothing without God's backing. Humans can build the greatest edifices or empires, laud their own achievements, but they forget the key ingredient God and they do so at their peril. It's this admonishment that rings in my ears as I watch in dismay, rage, and horror at what's going on all across the United States. Early on in my teaching career, I had been saddled with a particularly difficult class of kids, and one day a colleague turned to me in the staff room and said, those kids have no God. It sounded better in Hebrew. The sentiment was clear. All attempts to hold these kids accountable had failed. They don't fear anyone. They've forgotten their place in the grand scheme of the universe and the school. They're arrogant, and they act with impunity. There's a similar idiom in English, and you can imagine, you know, a hard-nosed teacher saying it before entering the room, I'll put the fear of God into them. So who lacks the fear of God these days? Who needs the fear of God put into them? Who needs that reminder that without God and without God's moral call to humans, we're nothing? Well, I'm sure that uh, some folks are ready to fill my mentions with the looters, the rioters. They're out of control. They're smashing. They're stealing. They've forgotten the law and the rules and how to behave. They're running wild and no one's holding them accountable. And we need more than just police to bring them to heal. We need soldiers. We need the army. Well, that's one perspective. But what those folks seem to have forgotten is that the situation didn't get to where it is now because one person decided to go out and steal some Air Jordans. People took to the streets because one Minneapolis police officer murdered George Lloyd and three of his colleagues stood by and let it happen. And when they took to the streets, those people, they were met with police, more police, armed to the teeth and ready for war. And it's not the first time that a police officer murdered a black person and went on their merry way home that night to watch TV and eat dinner. Imagine that. You know that murder is wrong. Every religious system condemns the act. It's an offense against God. There's nothing more destructive to the metaphysical fabric that binds us in the untimely murder of one human being by another. <laughs> Somehow I don't think that was Walt Whitman. And yet, you do it. You did it. And nothing happened. Nothing bad happened to you. You may even get a pat on the back. And then someone else does it, and nothing bad happens to that person. You see where I'm going with this? So maybe it's not wrong. Maybe it's not a condemnable act. Maybe it's not an offense. Maybe it's just what you do as part of the job. And you know that old adage about hammers and nails. So when they're facing down a lot of angry, heartbroken people, and they're the trained professionals the ones that are supposed to know what to do and how to behave in a high-stress situation because that's what the training is for, you know, to expose them to high-stress situations so they can manage it better, they respond the way they've always responded in these situations, knowing full well that no matter what they do, they're not going to be held accountable. 
That's the very definition of impunity. Which might not bother you because you think that this is a narrative that doesn't include you because you're home under quarantine or, like me, you're white and ostensibly law-abiding. So you'll never end up in some high-stress or no-stress interaction with a police officer. Or even if you did, you'll most assuredly go on your merry way home for dinner. And let's leave what every religious belief system has to say about the value of human life and how all of us are God's children, etc., etc. And let's say the struggle for justice just doesn't do it for you. Or you feel that you and your people once had a hard go of it and now y'all have made it and your work is done and now you can rest and enjoy the rest of your life. So let's put this in totally selfish terms. A police force that has a license to kill without any consequences can kill you too. Maybe not this week, maybe not ever, but their hammers are only getting bigger and heavier, and you, despite your skin color, the kind of car you drive or clothes you wear, will always be a nail. And if not you, then maybe your kids. So if we're dealing with the very definition of hubris, of impunity, of arrogance, of pride, unfortunately... In this case, it's upon us, not the gods or God, to take away that hammer. The poet tells us that indulging in pride, arrogance, and impunity will lead to nothing, but the poet also reminds us that, quote, the estate of the Lord is sons, reward is the fruit of the womb. So maybe it is time to stand up, if not for us or for them, then for the sake of our kids. Like we heard today, spread the word about Tanakhcast. Tell a friend about Tanakhcast over coffee. Send another friend an email or text, nothing fancy. Help your aunt who just got her first smartphone to download a podcatcher and subscribe to Tanakhcast. And if you have a spare moment after all that, write a brief glowing review at Apple Podcasts. Apparently, it helps people who might be interested in a little Bible learning vibe this podcast. And it's also a nice thing to do. If you want to help in an even bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast at Patreon.com and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 186, when we continue in the Psalms with chapters 131 through 134.